Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. My name is Andy Mitten. This episode of United We Stand is sponsored by Bet on Brazil. Visit betonbrazil.com for the latest odds and offers. Delighted today to be joined by our guest, Ron Atkinson. Ron was born in a city called Liverpool. He, he played for Aston Villa, Oxford United. We've actually had a lot of readers' questions sent in. One of them from a disgusted Bolton Wanderers fan who wants to take issue with Ron for captain in Oxford majestically at Burnham Park in 1970. He's better known as a manager. He managed Kettering Town, Cambridge United, West Bromwich Albion, Manchester United, West Brom again, Atletico Madrid, Sheffield Wednesday, Aston Villa, Coventry City. I'll just stop, pause for a breath here. Sheffield Wednesday and Nottingham Forest. Thanks for joining us, Ron. Pleasure, my son. Pleasure, yeah. Yeah. So... We've had questions sent in from a lot of United We Stand readers. The first one is, Liverpool away is on Monday night for Manchester United. Tell us about the time you went to Anfield and got a reception which wasn't, couldn't really be described as hospitable. There was some tear gas. There was John Sivibeck, yeah. your new signing, sort of clinging against the walls. Tell us in your words. 1986, I believe. That's right. I mean, we sell us. Uh, running joke when we went to Anfield because you could pull the coach right up against the entrance for the um, dressing rooms and I, the standing joke used to be tell you what lads get all of your money put your hands on your wallet and dive in <laughs> when we went there this time they built an overhang another room so in all fairness the coach then was parked about 20 yards from the door to get into the dressing room area. Mm. And there were no, like, in most grounds, what you do, they tend to have barriers up to keep the fans who are waiting for the, the opposition and the home team uh, well well away. Mm. But that wasn't the case at Anfield. We had to get out and go and jostle through the crowd to get to the door. Mm. Now, I, I always used to think that was, I never thought that was an accident. I thought that was something to maybe intimidate the opposition anyway, you know, I mean, at the time maybe they were up to one or two tricks. Anyway, as soon as just as I'm approaching the door, I feel a smoldering in my eyes and so forth. And I think, what is that? My, my first reaction was they painted, they put some paint on, a new paint on the door or something like that. And it didn't really dawn on until I was in my eyes. And, I, you know, we were all the same, coughing and spluttering. And I didn't, I didn't even realise two things. Once, going down the corridor after that, I apparently threw two guys out the way, which was Douglish and Hanson. Yes. <laughs> I then got a bit further along, and Mick Brown, my number two, tells me, because he tells the story well, I actually threw John Silverbeck onto the wall as well. You know, you just, I was that angry, because we realised something had happened then. Anyway, the upshot of it all was we get in the dressing room and within half an hour or whatever, we got, we got about 13 Liverpool fans in, in our dressing room being treated. Mm. Now, I had a, a little vision coming down there. I saw three or four heads pop out, three or four of the trainers' heads pop out of the Liverpool dressing room. I can remember that. And as soon as they saw what was happening, door slammed. Nobody was allowed in there. Mm. Um, and it would appear that somebody had, I think it's tear gas, tear gas this, um, 
Yeah. Um, and the irony of it was, uh, <laughs> I mean, they were all very good then at covering up things and all that. Mm. And by the end, I said by the end of the week, this will be our fault for being there. But uh, that was that wasn't um, that wasn't too clever at all. I must admit. 1985-86, what on earth happened, asks another reader. The football until Christmas was some of the greatest I've ever seen from a United outfit. Well, entirely, exactly what happened. There's no, there's no, no secret at all. Um, we lost major players for long periods, bearing in mind we didn't have that big a squad. I mean, in those days, you didn't have 25 players. You had maybe 14 to 15 and then if you got injuries, you put kids in out the reserves. Mm. Um, there's no secret. I mean, Robson got injured playing for um, England against Turkey. I see to this day, England are winning, I think, 5 nothing, And he chased, chased as he would do. A lost cause into the corner. And then I saw him pull up hamstring injury, which kept him out for a long, old time. I think, I, I think he kept him out for three or four months, I think. Mm. You know, I think we lost McGrath. Strachan ran into a goalpost at West Ham and snapped his collarbone. You know, we lost major players now. You know, at that time, any of the clubs, you know, if for argument's sake, Liverpool or whoever had lost, shall we say, in Russian Dagley for a long period, I don't think they'd have been anywhere near as effective. It's just one of those, it's one of those things where because, because the way the game was then, you didn't carry, as I say, you didn't carry squads. And although one man doesn't make a team, when it's your best players, it does have a big, big impact. Did you ever watch Fergie hold the league title trophy above his head and think, bastard, is another question? No, never. No, never. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm never, I'm not one of those that holds any regrets or whatever, you know. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy as a fact. When you come into football, if you, if you can say you've been to Wembley a few times and won a few trophies at Wembley, and I don't think that's, I don't think it's too terrible at all. Um, you know, that's, they're, they're quite, they're, they're well-fulfilling experiences. Um, when I saw him only for the 26th time, I thought, well, hang on up there. <laughs> now, uh, no, no, none whatsoever. I promise you that. Because um, I was chaser, uh, I work with what's happening now. Who was the best player you ever managed, ability-wise, not character-wise? Is another question. Ability-wise, by distance, Robert. Yeah. And I've been lucky. I had some great players. Yeah. But Robert, by distance, was the best player. You had him at two clubs. Tell us about coming to Old Trafford with West Brom and winning five-three. Well, the funny old thing about that was, and we still joke about it, we we were 3-2 down, and I don't know how we were 3-2 down, because I can't remember Man U that day being in our half three times. I mean, we absolutely obliterated them. The scoreline flattered them in the end. But the little scenario just before half-time, if you remember, the dressing room used to be on the halfway line. Yeah. And I'm stood there, and we're 3-2 down. Long ball down the middle. Sillery just flicks it on. And Tony Brown, who was a fanatical Man United fan, by the way, and the best finisher I 
I've ever worked with Bomber. And in fact, I remember him coming to that game wearing a red shirt. And I said, you come to support them or play for us? Anyway, he latched onto the ball. And as he latched onto the ball, just inside the penalty box, a whistle went. And I just turned, spun around to go back up the tunnel. And I just glanced over my shoulder, seeing him going around Gary Barry and tap it in. And I thought, cool. I, thought, I wish the ref had hung on a little bit longer. Anyway, we get in the dressing room and my team talk is, look, lads, the way you're playing, you've only got to play like that. You'll equalise and then you'll go in and win it. No danger. And Bamba said, yeah, for what are you talking about? I've just equalised. <laughs> and they're all looking at me like, gone out the players. I went, it's not going to be that hard then, is it? What's your favourite? I mean, the big thing about that game was their best player, Man United's best player that day, without a shadow of doubt, was Gary Bailey. What's your favourite Wronglish expression? So this is from a reader. Personally, I was always a fan of amusement arcade, sound of the oh. trumpets, watching cartoons, and little eyebrows. Uh, amusement arcade. Yeah, they, they, I always describe, but I love flair players, but yeah. I love what I call productive flair players. Yeah. I mean, Cantona was a flair player, Latissier, but they produced, you know, that sort of player. Yeah. I didn't like people that just did tricks and nutmegs on the halfway line and nothing happens, you know, they don't, there's no end product. Yeah. And um, so I, those are the players I sort of signal that as amusement arcades, people like that. Um, a lot of the stuff, you know, came from the training ground. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing, excuse me, if you're doing a training session or putting a coaching session and you're working on something, yeah. you don't want to be saying to somebody in the midfield, in the up front, when the ball comes in the air, just, just, I want you to just raise your eyebrows, flick your head back, put your back. You just go eyebrows, yeah, and then that's know straight away what you're on about. Yeah. Just a little skim header. All you're doing basically is raising your eyebrows and just helping the ball on, like near post corners and things like that. Like Graham Hogg did when we beat Barcelona for the first goal. That sort of thing. Was that the best atmosphere you ever experienced as Manchester United manager? Because a lot of fans would say that night can never be bettered. Well, I remember the morning of the match, Martin Edwards, who, by the way, whatever else, was the best chairman I ever worked with. Great chairman. Why? Well, because he supported the manager and he knew the game. Out of all the chairmen I've worked with, and a lot professed to be FA coaches, some of the chairmen, he um, he knew the game better and he knew what what was required better than anybody I've ever met in the game as a chairman. Mm. Um, I remember the morning of the match him saying, you're going to hear an atmosphere today like you've never heard. I don't know what, even know what, what suggested him saying it. There'd been no, nothing to suggest that should happen. And the atmosphere of that night, I mean, Bobby Charlton apparently, who, who, who'd been at every, every great United European night there's ever been, I would think. I remember him saying to somebody that he'd never known anything like that. Um, Peter Reid had come to watch the game apparently was on the seat jumping up and down and cheering and everything. He, everybody got caught up with the atmosphere. It was like, it was an incredible noise. It was like a shrill. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. 
the, the volume, the sound and whatever. And then all the fans ran on the pitch at the end, which that wasn't normal yeah. either. That wasn't, that wasn't what, sorry? That wasn't normal. No, I mean, it was such an emotive night. I mean, we've, uh, we've beaten the Barca and uh, Maradona and all, and, you know, to come back. I don't think anybody had ever come back and given away a two-goal lead um, and, and beaten Barcelona before, like, you know? You've done a book, Ron Atkinson, the manager, with, yeah. with uh, Tim Rich. Why have you done the book? Well, I was approached to do it, and I said, well, you know, I did one a few years ago, and they said, well, there's, there's been plenty of time lapse between. A lot of things have happened in football since. There's been major changes, and you've, you know, you've got a view on them, and we'd like to see a view on them, and, you know, including there's been major happenings at sort of Manchester United and things like that, and I could generally across the board in football. Mm. And I think when I see some others writing books, I think I'm better qualified to comment than... An awful lot of it. And you enjoyed doing it? Yeah, it was good. We did it fairly quickly as well, which was unusual. Tim, Tim the writer, was, uh, he captured every, a lot of stuff that, um, you know, the way, I, the way I wanted it captured. You describe your comments after the Chelsea Champions League semi-final in Monaco in 2004 as a phrase you'll, you'll always regret. Obviously, and in all fairness, Steve, it's been it's been gone over a million times. You know, and as far as I'm concerned, I've moved on. Who did you support as a boy? Probably, I, I, I was a great fan of a lot of clubs. You know, I, what we did probably Aston Villa. Aston Villa would be as near because, but the death thing was, I mean, a normal Saturday would be play for the school in the morning, and then go. Whoever was the local team, because we were living in Birmingham, whoever was, whoever was playing at home that day, um, if it was Birmingham, I'd go and watch them. Or if it was Villa, I'd go and watch Villa. And then a typical day, if Villa were home, we'd play for the school in the morning, go and watch the Villa play, and then at the end of the game, clamber down the big bank behind the ground and go off to watch the Speedway, which was a big thing at the time as well. And the big bank being the whole end? No, the other end. We used to go the other end. That was a big. It was yeah. No, that was a big bank as well at the at the uh, Whitten Road end. You know. Yeah. Uh, there was no cover on the tops. It was just just open. I, I saw an old picture of Villa Park last week. We've both uncovered. Well, the whole end was covered, but the, the two massive terraced ends be, behind either goals. That that's would, right. Yeah. Would, would no, just, that's what it used to be. Yeah. And then you. When I say you go over the top, you used to, you used to go to the top of it and come down to get to get out. Do you miss and those? Speedway, speedway was about very uh, bad. Speedway was about twenty minutes away, so we'd walk up to there. Do you miss those terraces? And, and would you welcome back safe standing? There's quite a strong campaign for safe standing. I actually think I mean stadium. Let's say this, particularly in Britain, mm. they've got the best stadia everywhere. Uh, you know, there's some magnificent stadia. I mean. England particularly is probably the only country if they said to you, or Germany probably as well, if you said to you within a month organise a World Cup, they could do it because they've got the stadia and everything. The stadia in England, albeit maybe from unfortunate circumstances, is, is brilliant. But it does lack um, it does lack that sort of atmospheric thing that, I mean, you know, you, you know, you talk about the Barcelona game. Mm. Well, I was watching it 
kind of thing the other night. Because a, a lot of the kids I played golf with didn't believe football existed before Sky and Premier and whatever. So I've got a sort of thing, and I have, have big arguments when I tell them that George Best was as good as Lionel Messi, because yeah. they say that's impossible. I mean, there's no one in um, Celtic. Dortmund, isn't it? Yeah, there's Dortmund, but Dortmund, also... Dortmund have got that big bank, massive bank behind it. And it's just the atmosphere they generate there is unbelievable. Mm. And that's just the South Tribune, but they've introduced it at Celtic this year. You mentioned MUTV. What do you think of Paddy Creran's commentary? Is another oh, question. We do love Paddy is slightly biased. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a story about Jesus Hill. Hessels Hill is another question from a, a reader. He was, of course, the famous Atletico Mad Madrid Max. president. Yeah, Mad Max, yeah. Mad Max. Well, Well, as soon as he said that, I thought this is going to be a classic. 
one of the things the previous doctor had said, Kutcher will never play again. He said, so if you play him, that would be big evidence. And I just burst out laughing. I said, there's no way. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. We're allowed six subs. I said, he can sit on the bench with absolutely no chance of getting on. And whether, whether that didn't go down to, well, I don't know. Yeah. But that, on the Sunday, we drew no score with, with bats. It's one of those games where you batter somebody yeah. and uh, don't win. But we, we moved up. I think we're third in the league with two points behind Real, who were top of the league. And we were getting a good... And we were in the quarterfinals of the Copa del Rey and all that. We were, we were getting a very decent team. I mean, I had a great relationship with the players and that. And then I came home. I just, I just got my new, new place in Madrid. I came home and then there was sort of some mixed messages and I tried to get back to Madrid and everything was fogged up and by the time I got there one of the lads who'd gone out to represent me said, home bother on the tomatoes. But he said, because two weeks later, Sheffield Wednesday offered me the job and he's their, their take on it was I came back to manage an English premiership or an English club. But I must admit, he was, he was a big character. He really was a big character. Madrid's a great city, isn't it? Phenomenal. Oh, phenomenal. I mean, the whole Spanish bit was great. Like, you know, um, he, he, didn't, he didn't get pestered. He never got pestered. It, it was... But my, my story about Madrid was, it, I was walking up to Cali Sarano with my wife one afternoon. Coming down the other way was Semi Ballesteros, who had just, it just won the, the Open. And it was arguably the most recognisable, charismatic golfer in the world. So, my wife pointed out, so I was waving to him, Sebi, you know, whoop, whoop, whoop. Yeah. And he must have thought, Jesus, Escola, nutter. Anyway. So, the next day I go in training, I say to the lads, hey, yesterday, uh, Ballesteros, Sebi Ballesteros. And they went, oh, yeah, golfer. I <laughs> think golfer. Yeah. I mean, he, he's standing. He's standing in Spain at the time. Then would like anywhere in the world. If he'd been in New York or London or any, you know, he'd have been, he'd have been mobbing him. But oh yeah, golfer. They, they weren't bothered. weren't bothered about golfers then. Ron asks another reader: Who was one player you could rely on a hundred percent to put a quote reducer on an opponent? <laughs> another reader do you remember coming out the Hawthorns with Lou Macari in May 2013 and being asked by two fairly desperate United fans if we could go in on your complimentary tickets <laughs> that was me <laughs> yeah that was a five all game wasn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. tell us a story uh, about the ex-red the late Laurie Cunningham who had a huge talent but was reportedly racked by self-doubt well Laurie 
Madrid is Robbo. Best player. And I've, I've been lucky. Strachan, McGrath, great player. Norman, terrific. Um, Barrow Fruitsy was a phenomenal player. Um, people like that. But for one year, that year, Laurie Cunningham was as good as anybody. As good as any player for that one year. He was phenomenal. Mm. Um, and we went to Valencia in the UEFA Cup. The, yeah, UEFA Cup. And we it was a good Valencia team with people like Bonoff and Kempes and people like that. And he put on the display that night. He was unbelievable. Mm. So Madrid had clocked him from there because he's on Spanish television. And we knew that we were going to lose him. So he goes up to Madrid. And he was unlucky. He got injured when he was in Madrid. He got injured. And he, I don't think he had the best of treatment for whatever reason. Mm. Anyway, two or three years had gone on and he played in the European Cup final against Liverpool when Liverpool beat them one nothing. And in United we got we got Stevie Coppel injured and Stevie was obviously gonna miss the eighty three Cup final. Um so I went over to Madrid and came back with Laurie Cunningham on loan I got I got my loan for a month. Yeah. He lost the blistering pace he had, he's still quick and his skill was brilliant. And he played, he played in the team. I remember him, he was against Watford. He got an overhead kick goal and that. And he definitely would have played in the cup final in 83, definitely. And he had a fitness test. He had a bit of a calf strain or something, hamstring or calf. And he had a fitness test on the morning, the day before the game at um, Roehampton. And did like 20, 20, and Larry running. Was poetic. He, he had a great style. He was so balanced and light. He was, he, he could, you'd have paid admission fee just to watch him run like, you know. Yeah. Anyway, he's running along there and uh, he'd done about 20 of these flat, I thought they flat out sprints and I said to him, you okay for tomorrow then, Laurie? He went, no, I'm not actually. Now, I've always, I've always said, when a player's injured, the one thing you say to him, would you play if it was the cup final? Because I think a lot of players could play. And a lot of players in those days did play. We got, you know, they, they shrugged injuries off and played. I think there's a lot more strong mental strength about them. Because um, players wanted to play. So that was always my sort of guideline. Would you play if it was a cup final? Now, I've said that to Laurie. And he's gone, no, I think I'd be fine to be going and letting the lads down. The problem, I think, we, I think we were only then, I think we were only allowed one sub, I'm pretty sure we were then. And I think in today, we'd see five or six subs, and I said, no, you're playing, you'll be all right. Big wide pitch, the left back there had was a kid called Pierce, and a, not, not the legendary one, but another one. And I said, I'll tell you what, you can, you can take him to the cleaners on a big wide pitch. But he dropped out, and I went, oh, I wasn't expecting that. So I looked at the group of players. There was four players under consideration. McGrath, who had played against Luton. Was it Luton or West Ham? Luton, I think, on the Monday beforehand. Scored two from that position and looked awful. Um, in fact, I put him sent half after 20 minutes. He played so bad. And he scored two goals. Um, Ashley Grimes. And Ashley was left-sided more than I thought. And I went through and I thought, to Alan Davis, who was probably the least expectant of the lot, you can't see a game tomorrow. <laughs> His eyes lit up, you know what? Because <laughs> I wanted to keep the same shape and the same 
You mentioned um, Paul McGrath. What approach did you use to manage Paul, asked another reader, when he was drinking? By his own admission, when he won the PFA Player of the Year at Villa in 93, he was playing and training and drinking at the same time. To what degree were you aware he had a problem? And was this a, was this a situation where getting the best performances from Paul on the pitch? When, when I was at Man U, I mean, there's a lot written and all that. He didn't have, that wasn't a problem at Man U. Yeah. There's no problem whatsoever. I think Paul's biggest problem, and by the way, if you want to read a book, read his. It's the most emotive football book I've ever read. It's brilliant. And you see what he had to put up with as a kid. It's, uh, but, so at Man U, it wasn't a problem. I think the problems at Man U started when he got injured. And I think the, the fact he was out for a while and he couldn't couldn't train and the, you know he wasn't he wasn't playing and I think that that got to him a little bit. So now we move on. He's gone to the villa and I'd heard the stories at Aston Villa about Macca and I thought well he just has a drink. When I got there, I couldn't believe how big the problem was. It really was. He really had got a major problem, which he admits to. He really did. Um, and my first reaction was, well, we'll get rid of the problem before it starts. And we actually, I actually talked to um, Liam Brady, who was manager of Celtic. And if it had offered me at the time one and a half million, I would have taken it. And this is before the season had started. And Liam came back with 750. I said, no, 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 no. And a lot of the players, a lot of the experienced players that have been there, like people like Gordon Cowens, who you would respect big time. Gordon said, boss, honestly, he's a great lad. You know, he, he knows a lot, but he's a terrific player. So we sort of said, all right, let's, let's see how it goes. And it was the luckiest escape I ever had in the transfer because he was absolutely brilliant for us week in and week out. I still think he's the best centre-half that's ever played in the Premiership. And he played... In the first four years of the Premiership, he missed two games. That's all he missed was two games. Yeah. I think him and Peter Atherton had the record. Peter Atherton had, was a Sheffield Wednesday at the time. Yeah. But a phenomenal player and a superb lad. Great lad. And we used to, yeah, we didn't train him. We knew his knees were shot at and, um I, we just, he just used to come in and do a bit of warming up in the gym, get on the bike and do a bit of that and whatever. But he was such a strong lad that, and funny, I was watching a video on him yesterday about something else, that when he was a kid, he used to go out and run sort of 70 laps on his own and do lots of weights and all that. And that probably, the work he put in when he was about 15, 16, 17, probably gave him the power to see his career. Because he was still playing in top division when he was about 38, you know. Mm. But, you know, all right, yeah, his problems are well documented. But we nursed him. Our physio, Jim Walker, was brilliant with him. Jim Walker would, Jim Walker would sort of say, Paul, Paul, very often before a game, would be going at Villa Park, he'd be going, my knee's playing up, Jim, he's really playing up. And Paul, Jim would say, Go out and listen to them singing your name. Because they used to give you that ooh ah song, didn't they? Yeah. Fill apart. He said, that's all you need. You don't need tablets. You don't need this. Just go and listen to them. And his performance level, the worst he ever gave was 7 out of 10, I think. You know, he was always 8, 9. And he 
if you talk to people and ask them, certainly he's been Billy's best player since, well, I don't know, 1960 or something like that. Mm. Everyone, by and large, nine out of ten would go Paul McGrath. Paul had a great career. Nicky Wood was a young United player who yeah, wasn't yeah. as fortunate with injury. Another reader wants to know, how good could Nicky have been? I was in Arnold Muir saying to me, and by the way, what a great pro he was, Arnold. Terrific. He, he, I think he's been arguably one of the most underrated players ever at United, you know. Yeah. He was a phenomenal player. Players loved him. Players loved playing with him. And I always remember him saying to me when he'd seen, he played in a reserve game, Arnold, when he's coming back from injury. And Nicky Wood played in the game. And I always remember him saying, boss, he will be, he could be another Trevor Francis. Hmm. Um, but unfortunately, I think his I think his career was over by the time he was about eighteen. Were you not interested in signing Gary Lineker when he was leaving Leicester in '85? <laughs> interested. We had, we had the deal done. I had the deal done, rather. But in those days, people tend to forget this. You know, in those days, you had to balance the books to a certain extent. And I was I was told that yeah, we could have him. Six hundred grand he was going to cost from Leicester. We talked to his agent, and they were they were very happy. His contracts up from whatever. Um, but I had to get I had to move one of our strikers out before he came in. Now we explained this to John Holmes, who was his agent, and Gary agreed to stay at Leicester until he did that. Howard Kendall got wind of it, and he's gone right. Sold Andy Gray back to the bill and bought bought Lineker. That, that is the story on Lineker, you know. Um, nowadays, with the amount of money available, you just buy him and then sell your, sell your own player at your leisure. David Platt, was he a late developer or did you know how good he was but couldn't find no, a place he, in the David team for him? David Platt, when he was at uh, Man United, was a very hard-working, centre-forward, target-man type of player. That I used to use a lot in training sessions because I used to put him in. If I wanted the back four pressurised, if we do work on the back four, I'd put David in because he would he would run all over the front and close people down and do that. But the irony was he, he wasn't a great goal scorer as a kid, wasn't he? Um, and I always remember the meeting with people like Eric Harrison and that discussing his future and. Um, Eric wanted him to stay as a, um, he said, well, you know, an overage player in the under-18 league. I thought, you can't ask a kid to be an overage player at, nine, at 18, 19 years of age. And as, as I rang a few clubs around, so we've got this kid. Um, because don't forget, then we had, we had the senior strikers. In the younger element, we had uh, Norman, we had Sparky, we had um, Nicky Woods, even Scott McGarvey, I think, was still there at the time, Scotty. So it was going to be a long way for him to even get a sniff of the reserves regular. And so I rang a few people around, and I rang my mate Joe Royal, because Joe was always taking lads from local clubs. He took quite a few from Man City, like Earl Barrett and uh, Warhurst and people like that. And I said, we've got a kid here. And Joe said, no, no. Joe, and Joe knew all the local young players. He went, no. He said, I'll have that other kid, Nicky Woods. I said, you've got to be joking. In the end, I, I had quite a good um, a 
And if he does any, if he does any good, you know, whatever. No, we had a percentage of whatever they... Now, Dario had him for two or three years, converted him into a midfield player. Um, and even when he sold him to the Villa, you know, and Dario said this, we, we didn't think, we thought he was just going to be a sort of squad player. They sold him to Villa for, he was 200 grand. Um, they didn't even uh, want a, a sell-on clause or anything. Because they just thought he was going to be a squad player. And then all of a sudden, you know, he burst through a little bit. And then uh, Italian 90, when he got his chance, when Robbo got injured. And he went on from there. Last few questions. We've had absolutely loads sent in. I know you're a busy man. You keep a full diary. How young are you these days, Ron? 70? You know, I used to call it Sunset Strip. Work that one out. (laughs) (laughs) But you do keep yourself busy, don't you? Oh, you're mad busy. Somebody said, I mean, I I go out with me and they go, why do you carry on? I said, better than the alternative. But you, you, I think you're the same age as Paddy Crerand, and I see Paddy a lot, and it, it, it keeps him busy, it keeps his mind alert, you know, he's yeah, going well, to all these football yeah, matches. Well, we're lucky, because, uh, you know, one of my standard lines is, I said, we left school at 15 and never worked since. Yeah. You know, we've had a way of life, and we've been very privileged, and, you know, it's been, it's been great, but I've never... I can't remember ever having to get up and go, oh, I've got to go to work today. Not since, you know, I've been involved in football. Because I know the other side of it, where the lads have to go out and clock in at 8 o'clock, four minutes on the clock and all that. Um, I don't know which I prefer. So when, when people in football start moaning about pressures and about this and about that, I say, you, know, you should go and do a bit of stuff in the real world. Does it sadden you what happened to your first club, Kettering? It's amazing that it is amazing because that was that was a flourishing club, um, and and then you know we were you talk about one vote for the Premiership. We were one vote away because you have to get voted into the league. Yeah. Under the present circumstances, Kettering would have been a league club. Yeah. But we were one vote away, and I believe it was nothing and Forest who broke down on the way to the uh, meeting. Promised to vote for us. Otherwise, Ketchum would have gone in into the football league. And at one time, they even toyed because the chairman was so he could he could have been chair of any club in the uh, in the country. He was such a big businessman. At one time, he toyed with the idea by buying Northampton. They were in the doldrums mm. and calling and moving it to Ketchum, calling the Northampton County. They were the days of, of re-election. Altrincham had a similar story. They, they, were yeah. a, they were a great club, loads of good cup yeah. runs, and they got promised a vote from one club chairman, and he got pissed and fell asleep during the vote, and Altrincham oh, didn't go, what, didn't that, go that up. That didn't surprise me. That does not surprise me one bit. What's I mean, it was, it was, uh, everything was touching up. But it was, I, I would say this, it was great. It, 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 it won't happen so much now, I don't think. But it was a great grounding. It really was. Mm. And, uh, people say, which really do enjoy most. I said, everywhere. I really did. Ketchum was brilliant. You know, wherever you are, that's brilliant. What's your favourite bar or restaurant in Manchester in the 80s? <sighs> Probably Bavagarge, I think. <laughs> My mum used to go in there. <laughs> it's the only one I know. <laughs> Uh, probably, yeah. Uh, we, we had uh, 
It used to be, I think we went there after, after the, after one of the cup finals, we, we went back there and um, had a little private, well, well, private party. Everybody was in there, like, you know, but so, yeah, yeah, that would, yeah, it would be that, that would be Um, What was the proudest moment of your managerial career? think when Norman picked up the ball 1985 FA Cup final you're down to 10 men you're playing the best team in the land they're about to go to Rotterdam to play in the European Cup final no they'd come back from there sorry they come back from there and they went for yeah 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 um, I tell you what, and I saw it again on, on the programme the other night he, he never gets enough credit for it Strachan mm. when Norman picked up the ball he starts making a beeline for Pat Bandon now. Strack ran miles to sort of overlap him. And it, it just threw Pat Bandon now off, off balance a little because he, and I must have I did. I thought he was going to slide it down the side for Strack. And he, as soon as Bandon uh, now sort of checked off to try and cover Strack, Norman t- just flicked the inside onto his left foot and boom. Brilliant goal, you know, brilliant. And the funny old thing about that, you know, when we went down to, only twice in my career I've been in a situation where we're certain this. And when we went down to 10 men, I always remember Mickey, Mickey Brown saying to me, Ron, we got to patch up, play here, play there, play for a replay. Because he had replays on a Thursday then, play for Thursday. And I watched it for a bit, I said, no mate, we'll beat these. I'm telling you now, we'll beat these. And we stuck it, stuck up one side Olsen up the other, Spark and his own. And Frank Stapleton was playing centre-half at the time, because he basically Kevin. And I said, we'll play that way, and we'll try and pin them back like that. Because um, we knew they couldn't outrun us. I mean, Reedy, I still joke with Reedy, a goal-scoring opportunity, 45 yards from our goal, when Kevin took him out. I said, Reedy, you'd have collapsed with exhaustion trying to run 45 yards. Um... That was one. The other time, ironically enough, was when I was manager of Sheffield Wednesday. We played United in the League Cup. Yeah. Before the game, I knew we I knew we'd win the game. Really? I, yeah. Don't know why. Don't certain things you, you you see and you go. I really fancy us to do it today. And that was with uh, jo- John Sheridan, no? Yeah. And yeah. Jo- John's a Stratford lad. John's a United fan. Oh, I know that. I know that. <laughs> Every time I see him, he goes, Gaffer, and what a good player, by the way. Yeah. He could have played in any, any team. That he was such a good player, him, I tell you. So why, very did, underrated. why didn't he? Well, I mean, he went to, he went to Sheffield. Yeah. And don't forget, Sheffield in the, in the sort of 90s was quite a very progressive... Um, it was a big club. I used to love yeah. I loved going to Hillsborough. It was a great, yeah, great yeah. place to um, 
She has every time I see him, says, Gaffer, is that goalpost still that way? <laughs> He's still managing now, isn't he? Yeah, he's in Notts County. He's a, he's a great lad, Chess. Scallywag. Yes. Oh, Scallywag. Yeah. Uh, proper, proper uh, what I call all time football. Yeah. He's... Loved, loved, loved playing. Yeah. Just, you know, you could, uh, you could argue with him, do this with him, and whatever. But stop him playing football and, you know, you cut off his lifeline. I grew up a mile from him, and his family was a big one, and uh, they were well known. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I still I still reckon he used to go home on a Sunday to his dad, his brother's pub team or something. I, I reckon he used to play on a Sunday for the pub team as well. Well, his brothers were players. I mean, Darren played in the Premier League with, with Barnsley. Barnsley, yeah. And he, yeah, he went, where did he go? Barrow and places like that. Yeah, I mean, but Chez was, was brilliant. I can't believe I can't believe you know that John Sheridan's brother went to Barrow. Your your knowledge, you, you, you're like an anorak. No, I just know. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it's your job to know that, but knowing where yeah. the brothers went to a non-league club, I mean, there's some depth to that. Yeah. But I've, yeah. Lo- I've loved, loved, loved talking to you, and I hope that United fans have enjoyed listening to you as well. I do wish you all the best. What What are you doing now? You doing MUTV? You doing other bits of media work? I've got the, I've got the game on Monday. I've got like, uh, I've got. What am I doing? At MU. I've got. Uh, I've got the Liverpool match. I'm doing the Liverpool game. Who's going to win that? Well, I'm, I can't believe the number of people that think it's a gimme for Liverpool. I'm listening. To, I thought, well, just a minute, two things. United have got arguably the best record of any team at Anfield. I mean, I, I don't, didn't Van Gogh win there every time? He did. I think. Yeah. He won there twice, yeah. And, Both seasons. And now I could see, you'll see, putting out, because that'll appeal to him now. The yeah. fact that he... He's half going to Liverpool. Half going to Liverpool is, in people's eyes, the underdogs. They ain't the underdogs. Yeah. Um, and he'll, I think he'll devise something that'll put a clamp on them. And they're, they're not, they're not watertight at the back. Yeah, they got some attacking flair. I think Coutinho is a very good player, lovely player. Um, one or two of the front players are bright and bubbly. Um, but I think you know, doing him with a real chance, mate. Thanks for your time. Good luck. I hope the book goes well. And we've given it a review in the next issue of United We Stand. We've given it a big 900-word review. So have a read of that. And all the best, Ron. Thanks very much. Cheers. The episode of United We Stand was sponsored by BetOnBrazil.com. It's a new betting site for all sports punters with great odds, markets and offers. Listeners to this podcast can now get a free £10 when they deposit £10 just by using the promo code United10. Just visit betonbrazil.com and enter the promo code United10, that's one O. When you deposit your £10, you'll get £10 free. Sign up at betonbrazil.com. Betonbrazil.com is for over 18s only. Betting should be fun, so please gamble responsibly. As well as that, we're working on the next United We Stand. Uh, It's out against City. We did say that it would be coming out against Burnley, but after that, the draw was made for the League Cup against a team called Manchester City, who are coming to Old Trafford. So... We thought it'd be rude not to get the mag out. It's been a big gap between the the last one, which came out against Leicester because of a lack of home games, and we'll, we'll bring it out against City. So, if you plan to send anything in, send it by this Tuesday, please, to uwsmag at yahoo.co.uk, and we'll be bringing you a podcast from Anfield 
on Monday. Remember the last one when I went up to that fella and asked him if he'd be on a podcast and he said he'd rather sell his liver. Well, hopefully that same man feels some pain on Monday night when Manchester United go to Anfield and get a win. I can't say I'm completely confident because this season there's been a lot of pluses, but let's see. Liverpool v Manchester United, one of the great fixtures in English football, something you always look forward to. Until next time, goodbye.